Uh, we began a series last week called, I've been called, uh, entitled Real Life, and we looked at the choice that, that Paul made that whatever circumstance he found himself in, he would find joy. I don't know about you, but that's sometimes hard to find. When things are tough, when things are hard, we go, where is joy? Where can we find joy in life? And Paul understood that joy wasn't found in the circumstances of life, but in the Lord Jesus Christ and the work in his life. And so as a result of Paul answering the call of Jesus, he faced difficulties, he faced hardships, he faced um, beatings, he faced abuse, he faced shipwrecks, he faced being left for dead after being scourged. And now, in, as he writes this letter to the church at Philippi, he has lost his freedom altogether. He is paying a price. But yet, from prison, he chooses joy. I don't know about you. I'm not going to ask if you've ever been in prison. But I can imagine if you were, if I was, I don't know if I'd have a lot of joy in that moment. I'd, I'd think, I want out of here. As he writes this letter, though, he continues. He, we discover something about the man of God being used to share the gospel around the world. He grasps the, bag, the big picture that God was found in progress toward the mission in whatever form it's found. Paul believed with all of his heart that everything in the kingdom has to move forward, can't move back. And we stand here today on 245 years since our nation was declared separate. It wasn't actually accomplished for a few years, but it was declared separate that day. And you know, we could go, man, life was good in the old days, wasn't it? That back in the past, things were great and wonderful. They were, don't misunderstand. But I don't know about you, but we can't go back, can we? We have to go forward. And that's the same thing is true in the kingdom of God. We can always move forward. So here he is, confined to prison, and his work has been limited somewhat, as we'll see he continues sharing the gospel, but the work of the kingdom is going on around him. Others have picked up the kingdom's work and are going to continue to share the gospel. I think what we want to see this morning, the big idea is that the gospel is not confined to one person. And it's not confined to one group of people. Rather, God uses all kinds of folks to accomplish his great good work. Many of you know I grew up in a, in a Southern Baptist church. Uh, so I was, I was taken to a Southern Baptist church before I could make a decision to be a part of it. I just had to go. I didn't have a choice. And my dad was a deacon from the time I was 11 on. Still is a deacon to this day. My grandfather was a deacon. He also was a song leader. Remember the old days, they didn't call him minister of music or minister of worship. It was the song leader. He was a song leader up in Hot Springs. And so my family has a long history in Baptist work. And I, I, I want you to know, growing up, I really kind of believed, well, I didn't kind of believe, I really did believe that, that God's work started and ended with a Baptist church. That God couldn't do anything with anybody else because they weren't what? They weren't Baptists. Something was wrong with them. Why weren't they Baptists? But I want you to know as I've grown in, the, in my faith and I've grown in the Lord, I've discovered that God works in ways way bigger than us. And I'm grateful for that. And I think that's what Paul sees in here as well. As Paul, so Paul challenges the church at Philippi to see the most important thing in life is to see the hand of, work, hand of God at work around them. There's five things I want you to see from this passage. The first one is simply this. Every circumstance can be used by God. Every circumstance we face in life can be used by God. Now, where is Paul when he writes this letter? He's in prison. Which prison was he in? Does it really matter which prison he was in? He was in 
prison. He may have been at uh, Ephesus. He may have been at Rome. He may have been at Caesarea uh, over on the seashore near modern-day Israel. Regardless, he's in prison. And look what he says from prison. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, being in prison, has really served to advance the gospel. Did you know that going to prison is one of the best ways to expand the gospel? Apparently so. That's what he says. He says to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He is in prison. Wherever he is, we don't know. It's a prison. And he's got to face a court date at some point. He's got to stand before the Roman leader at some point. He's under a cloud of serious and possibly deadly circumstances to come. And it would have been very easy for him to become despondent. It would have become very easy for him to get upset about his circumstance. I think I would have. God, why are you got me in prison? I was being faithful. I was sharing the gospel. I was out working. I was doing what you called me to do. And now I'm in prison. How could that be? But instead, what he looked at this, he has a refreshing viewpoint because he sees what he's experiencing as something God can use to advance the gospel. He says, the circumstance is just where I'm at. God is who's at work. So he sees the good and the bad. He sees the potential and the negativity of the moment. And in fact, he kind of shares a little mini testimony here. Do you see it right there in verse 13? He says, here's what's been going on as I've been in prison. It's become known throughout the whole imperial guard. The imperial guard would have been who? The guys who are watching him in prison. They have heard and they have seen and they have experienced in his life what? That the kingdom of God is at work. That God is real. And even the rest, and all the rest, that sounds like one of those TV shows from the 60s, doesn't it? And all the rest, anyway, all the rest, they've heard about it too. They've heard about the imprisonment. This is for Jesus. What he's saying is this, God is at work even as I am in prison behind closed doors. God is opening doors through this process. And through this imprisonment, he's been able to declare the glories and majesties of God. And God is at work. And what he had done was to take what was on the surface a bad situation, a bad circumstances, and God is using it for good. That leads me to my first thought I want you to see this morning. And it's this. God is always ready to bring his good from whatever you face. I don't know where you're going through right now. Some of you are in great seasons of life. Things are good. Everything's easy. There's no problem. Some of you are in some pretty hard situations. Some of you may be facing health issues. Some may be facing financial issues. Some of you are dealing with other issues in life. But somehow we have bought the lie as a follower of Jesus that, that if we follow Jesus, life is going to be easy. Life is going to be pleasant. Life is going to be good. Always. Can I tell you something? That's not the case. I suspect Paul would have laughed at that thought. You think about different individuals in Scripture. Think about Jeremiah. Man, he was in a tough situation. He ended up in the bottom of a well because he was faithful to God. Think about David, had to run for his life. Think about Hosea who struggled with a wife who ran off on him. Think about Samson who made some pretty foolish choices and yet God still used him. How about all the apostles we talked about a couple of weeks ago and the lives they have? How about the younger brother, the guy named Joseph? You remember him? He had a pretty cool coat. A coat of what? Many colors. You probably know that story. See, God is big enough to take whatever happens in our life, and if we'll let him, he can bring good out of it. He can bring good out of even the most difficult circumstance in life. But it's going to take some intentionality on our part. It's going to make a decision on our part, a choice on our part. And we're going to have to have some faith letting God lead us through that. But God is always ready, listen, to bring good in whatever you face. 
I'm reminded of that story of Joseph down in Egypt. You remember his story? He was the, one about the youngest brother. He got this cool coat. He had these cool visions. He made the mistake of telling his brothers about it. And his brothers had a special gift for him. You remember what that was? They sold him into slavery. That's right. He went to Egypt. But God took that circumstance and used Joseph's life to bring about the blessing of the world through that. And then many, many years later, his family ends up down in Egypt with him. And then finally, his dad passes away. Jacob is gone. And the brothers are fearful. They said, I think our brother might get even at this point, but not Joseph. In fact, they lied to him. They tried to trick him and tell him, oh, dad said, don't you love it when your siblings say, but dad said, it was on the Old Testament, it was there. But Joseph's word was this. Look at this. Verse 20 in chapter 50. Joseph says to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph understood that no matter what he faced, no matter what circumstance he was in, God was at work. I want you to hear that this morning. God is always ready to move, always ready to bring his good when we let him work in our lives. God will bring every circumstance to his good if we let him. Second, every circumstance can produce some confidence in life. Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, the beloved, Having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, hold up a second. Last time you had a friend of yours went into prison, what did you do? Yeah, you acted like you didn't know him. I know. No, what happened? You're thinking, man, what did they do wrong? What's bad here? What's the circumstance? What's the situation? Look what this is. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, I've got to tell you, as I was studying this passage this week, I came across this verse. I'd read it before in my life. I just don't know if I ever noticed it this way. I'm looking at this and going, now, wait a second. The beloved, the brothers in Christ, the sisters in Christ, they hear about his imprisonment and they get bold. That's not right, is it? I had to read it again. They became bold to speak the word without fear because they've heard of his imprisonment. You're going, wait a second. Maybe people in his day are different than us. What do you think? I don't think so. People are people. What's going on here? What he's saying, I think, is this. Because I have been in prison, the brothers and sisters in Christ have become bolder about sharing the word of God. But I've got to tell you, that seems counterintuitive. If a friend of mine was arrested for preaching the gospel, I might have gotten a little quieter, not a little louder. I might have got less bold, not more bold. Go with me. I would have gone, man, I think I'll keep my mouth shut. I'll duck my head. I'll hide out somewhere until it blows over but not these folks. What Paul grasped is this. These folks had received the gospel, having heard the gospel. They received the gospel. The gospel was changing them radically inside out. Their lives were no longer the same. And they were in a place where they were willing to lay everything down. Wow. Every circumstance can bring about confidence if we'll let it. What Paul grasped in the moment is that every moment he faced in life has the potential to bring about even more confidence. Here he is in prison waiting for trial, waiting for a verdict. Brothers and sisters, the beloved, are doing what God's called them to do. What are they doing? They're proclaiming the gospel. Why? Because that's what they're supposed to do. They're speaking the word of God without fear. And instead of trying to hide or trying to to, to disappear, they boldly, fearlessly, brazenly even went about their lives doing what God has called them to do. Why? Because they had confidence in God. They don't let the forces of evil shut them up. 
that said, we're going to rally around Paul and we're going to do the right thing. Here's what I want you to catch real quickly here is this. We constantly make decisions every day, every day, every day. I didn't put it in the, in the, in the notes, but it's there. We constantly make decisions to either be faithful or unfaithful to God's call in our life. You're going, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not in ministry. I don't have a call on my life. Oh, yes, you do. Child of God, if you're here today and you've answered the call to follow Jesus, you have a call on your life. You're going, what do you mean? I firmly believe that every single person who has trusted Christ as Savior has a ministry or ministries to which they are called. And when you find those, go do them. Get involved. You're going, well, I'm not supposed to be out front, am I? Maybe not. I, uh, some of our, a couple of our kids have played with uh, archery sets. And you're going, you let your kids play with archery sets. Yeah, I didn't say I stand out there as an art target for them. I said we, we have them, okay, and we have these, these foam box that they can shoot them into. And if you took a, a, an arrow, an arrow is a kind of a cool thing. It's, you know, about that long. One end of it's got a blunt point. I don't give them a sharp point. I mean, I'm, I'm dumb, but I'm not that dumb, okay. But it's got a point on it. And then it's got this long stick or shaft that goes down here. And at the other end, there's these, um, they're like feathers, but they're not feathers. They're plastic on the cheaper ones, you know what I'm saying? But I want to tell you, if you took the point off and tried to shoot it with an arrow or with a bow, it wouldn't go very far, would it? That's the way it is in the kingdom of God. Some of us are the point, some of us are the shafts, some of us are the bow, some of us are the, the, the string that holds the bow together, some of us are the feathers on the end, but all together we're able to faithfully serve God and serve well together and accomplish great things. And how we participate in this process is a daily decision that you and I have to make every day. I'm making a decision every day. Am I going to be faithful to God's call or not faithful to God? Am I going to do what he's called me to do or am I not going to do what he's called me to do? Am I going to get involved where he wants me to be involved or am I going to walk away? You have the same choice. And when difficult circumstances come, we can either complain and gripe and bemoan the fact that it's going hard or we can step into faithfulness like these folks did and say, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. One of the inspiring things I find about the people around Paul, and I think the church at Philippi to whom he's writing, was they had a conscious decision in their minds they had made that says, we're going to see God at work. We're going to see the victory that God has for us, and we're going to work toward it. We're not going to see it as negative. We're going to see the positive. We're going to see the good. We're going to see the great things that God has for us instead of the negative things that we could find. I tell you, this way of thinking is one of the hallmarks of our own nation, isn't it? You know, 245 years is not that long on the grand scheme of human history. But when we've been faced with trials and difficulties and hardships, what have we done as a nation? Turn tail and run? No. We've stood up and said, let's do the right thing. That's my prayer for us as the body of Christ is that we would do the right things. That when hardships present themselves, we would choose to be faithful. Paul told the church at Thessalonica this. He said, give thanks in what? Some of the things you face. No, he said, give thanks in all circumstances. You go, but what if it's hard? All circumstances. What if it's difficult? All circumstances. What if it's painful? All circumstances. What if it's fun? All circumstances. He said, give thanks in what? All things. All circumstances. Why? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You say, well, I don't like what I'm having to go through. Yeah, I didn't say you had to like it, but we can give thanks for it. I don't know about you, but some of the best seasons of my life of learning have not come in the easy times, but in the what? The hard times, the trials, the difficulties. 
So God can, can use every circumstance for his good. Every moment can produce confidence. Third, many engage in a certain work of God. Now, what Paul does here is kind of interesting. You'll notice if you're following along on the outline in the bulletin that we're going to look at verse 15 twice. And then we look at verse 16 and verse 17. That's because he's going to talk about two different kinds of people here. Look at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Did you see the two types of people? Those who preach Christ out of envy and rivalry and those who preach Christ from goodwill. That's not the story in Texarkana, okay? That's the good place of God, all right? But he's going to deal with the latter first, so that's what we're going to do. Look at verse 16. The latter, those who preach from what? The goodwill. Do it, do what? Preach the gospel out of love, knowing that I am put here in the defense of the gospel. So catch what's going on here. There's two different kinds of people. It seems like in Paul's day there were two kinds of people, just like there are today. Those who work out of a pure motive and those, well, who don't. Don't limit the context to the preacher. Well, he's the apostle. He's talking about apostle. No, he's writing the letter to who? To the church at Philippi. The church at wherever. He's writing to everybody. So he's talking to all Christians at this point, all believers at this point. He said, look, there are some that are going to work out of the wrong motive, and those are going to be some who are going to work out of the right motive. Now, you're going to love the outcome of this in a minute, but hang in there with me. He talks to those who preach Christ out of love first. He talks to them. He says, I want you to understand, Paul is in prison, not because he had done something wrong, but what? Because he had proclaimed the gospel, because he had defended the gospel. In other words, he was there because he had stood boldly for Christ. He had stood unapologetically for Christ. He had proclaimed the truth of God's word, and he firmly believed the Messiah had been revealed and was at work. And everyone who encountered, he encountered needed to hear the gospel. And the people who partnered with Paul to share the gospel went every place they went. He says, they're doing a good work. We want to challenge that. We want to encourage that. We want to bless that. We want to cheer that on. So, so let's talk about these folks for just a second. What does it mean to us? If we're going to move forward in life, if we're going to find God at work in our life, it means that we're going to have to engage in the work of God that's at hand. Now, what does that mean? You go, well, didn't you write that? I did. So let me explain what I mean. You're looking at it going, hmm, the work of God at hand. I don't know about you. I'm at a point in my life where I've been around the, the sun about, oh, almost 55 times now. And some years look a whole lot like previous years. You know what I'm saying? You go through the same things. You start experiencing the same Experiences. Sometimes you go on the same trips and you get there and you go, didn't we come here before? And you go, yeah, you, don't you remember? No, I don't remember. I went here, but here it is. So much of our lives, listen, it, it is, it is similar. Our months look alike. Our, our years are almost interchangeable at times. Sometimes we live without a lot of, with a lot of routine and not a lot of variety. But can I tell you something? That's where the work of God's done is in the routine. In, in the in the, the the ongoing life of work, because that's where God is. If we faithfully listen to Him and do the will of God, what we find ourselves is part of something bigger. His work. We we want to hear from God. We want to be found faithful to where He has us, and, and we don't have to spend time worrying about everything else because we know God's right here. Moving forward means we're going to engage in God's work, right where we are. You go, well, I want to have a part of the great. 
Work where you're at. Work in the place he's got you. Serve faithfully where you are right now. I'm reminded of the words of Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah was a guy I love. He's one of my favorite Old Testament prophets. But here's a man who lived toward the end of the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom. His life was tough because God says, oh, you can't get married and you don't need to go to funerals and don't go to weddings, but just go around and tell everybody that the end's coming. Well, that sounds like a great life, doesn't it? That was his call. He was so faithful that he ended up in the bottom of a well, sinking in the mud at one point in his life. Yay, God. But that's where God had him. And he was faithful to do what God had him in the moment. In fact, in Lamentations, he said this about his life. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. You're thinking, wait, he had a hard, difficult life. How could that? Because he was engaging in the work of God that was at hand. When we serve faithfully with the Lord, we find life is worth living. We remain faithful in that moment. So we've looked at the ones who are being faithful in the moment. How about the other ones? Let's go back to verse 15 and then jump to 17 because you're going to see the other group of folks he's talking about. He says, but some see a pretentious competition in life. Look at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The former, so in verse 17 he says, the former, we're talking about those who preach Christ, preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Let that statement just kind of sink in your head for a while, would you? You're thinking, how in the world could that happen? I got to tell you, when I studied the passage this week, I was looking at it going, well, if they're preaching Christ from envy and rivalry, there's nothing good can come from that, right? Hold up. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me, Paul, in my imprisonment. See, most proclaim Jesus from a good place, a place of goodwill, a good of honesty. But then there's some who will preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Wait, what? Has he been on social media? Has he been listening to people as they talk about other people? Paul had people around him who actually reveled in his imprisonment. They said, finally, he's in jail. Now you're going, really? Yeah. They're glad he's there. They want to make it hard on him while he's there. They want to make him feel bad about himself while he's there. And Paul goes, okay, whatever you want to do. I don't know about you, I've, I've tried to develop a picture of what Paul might have looked like. And we don't have any pictures because they didn't have pictures and there were no portraits painted in the first century of Paul. But, but if you read the scriptures, you can kind of pick up a, a picture. I have a mental picture I've been building of Paul. It looks something like this. He was, he was balding. He had male pattern baldness. I think his eyesight was failing. I don't think he was a real attractive fellow. Uh, he was brash. He was bold. He, got a, he was offensive at times. He wasn't a lot of fun to be around. He might have been difficult to get along with and to get to know. But he lived with a focus that people need to hear Jesus. I suspect his personality, though used by God in mighty ways, sometimes engendered envy and rivalry by some. And those individuals seem to go so far as to act like rivals of Paul. They say, oh, well, you know, he's in jail, so, you know, he got what he deserved, and we're going to be faithful to God, and we're going to show you the right way. Listen, you would think Paul would get upset about that. 
Wait till we get to the last point. You'll see his reaction. They may have even made a big show of it to say, look what, Paul didn't, he's not great. He's nothing. He's pitiful. We're going to help you. But why live that way? It would be the question I'd have. Paul was aware of who they were. I think he was hurt at some level, but he knew that there was something greater. I was doing some reading this past week. Have you ever had a chance to read any of this man's material? I would recommend it. A-W, two letters, A-W, Tozer, T-O-Z-E-R. If you ever need something kind of deep, just to read a little extra, download something on your, on your, uh, your app and read some of his stuff. He says this about competition. We need to refuse it. Go ahead and throw the application up there so you can see it. Refuse to settle for mere pretentious competition. There's a better life than what we've got. Here's what he said about it. And it's in um, King James English, so bear with me. He says, Dear Lord, I refuse henceforth to compete with any of thy servants. They have congregations larger than mine, so be it. I rejoice in their success. They have greater gifts, very well. That is not in their power nor in mine. I am humbly grateful for their greater gifts and my smaller ones. I only pray that I may use to thy glory such modest gifts as I possess. I will not compare myself with any, nor try to build up my self-esteem by noting where I may excel one or another in thy holy work. I henceforth make a blanket disavowal of all intrinsic worth. I am but an unprofitable servant. I gladly go to the foot of the cross and own myself the least of thy people. If I err in my self-judgment and actually underestimate myself, I do not want to know it. I propose to pray for others and to rejoice in their prosperity as if it were my own. And indeed it is my own, if it is thine own. For what is thine is mine. And while one plants and another waters, it is thou alone that giveth the increase. Paul looked at their lives and said, better preacher, praise God. Greater ministry, praise God. More effective effective in kingdom work, praise God. That's the approach we need to have. To understand that we have our portion, our place, our service, and we don't want to be pretentious and competitive. We're cooperative and work together. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 73, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength and my portion forever. You know, there are a lot of preachers that are better preachers than me, better pastors than me, better ministers than me, better husbands than me, better men than me. I praise God for those guys because God's using them in the kingdom just like he uses me. In God, we find the strength to move forward. So what do we do with this? Don't you love when Paul gives you the answer in the text? You don't have to hunt for it. Look at verse 18. What then? What then? Well, we've been talking about all this stuff. What? So you could, you could paraphrase this as, so what are you trying to tell me? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. What he's saying, I think, is this. However Christ is communicated, choose to rejoice. As Paul identified, many engage in the work of God based on love. Some do it on pretense or rivalry. But ultimately, what really matters is this. Jesus 
proclaimed. I got to tell you, I struggle with that verse. Can I tell you why? I I like justice and I like the right and I want to be right, just like most of us do. But get this, Paul is all right with some fellow who is pretentious, competitive, and envious proclaiming the gospel. Really? I go, I had to go back and read that again. What? How could God bless that? How could God bless a guy like that? How could God work in his life like that? How could God use him? And Paul would say, how could I ever denigrate somebody who proclaims Jesus? Oh, that hurt. Because the most important thing in the world is not us being lifted up and our gifts and talents and abilities showing, but Jesus being proclaimed. For where Christ is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. And the least important thing are my feelings as a result of the poor actions of some. In such places, Paul would say, I will rejoice. He says, I will live a life of joy. He understood his life was God's. He can use it however he wanted to. If it meant he spends the rest of his days in prison, so be it. If it means his life is going to be over in a few days, so be it. If he's going to be killed for his faith, so be it. If he's going to proclaim to Jesus to just a few, so be it. What he understood was this. I'm a tool to be used in the holy hand of God, however he sees fit. As long as Jesus is communicated, I will rejoice. Everything else is secondary. And that leads me to this thought. As long as the gospel is being proclaimed, let's always rejoice. You know, one of the things Paul understood, and I I suspect maybe we need to add to our lives maybe as well, is the truth that life is just not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus being proclaimed so that Christ can save those who will be saved. One of the things he understood is we need to be about proclaiming the gospel. I find it totally intriguing that Paul was all right with people who attacked his person, all right with people who attacked his character, all right with people who attacked attacked his integrity as long as the gospel is being proclaimed. One of the things I think we need to understand about the working of God is he's not limited to you and me. Do you know that God works outside of Baptist life? That may shock some of us. But he does. Because he's at work all around the world. You know, for years and years, decades in fact, Americans, we had the most missionaries sent out from our country. Did you know that? You know that we're now number two recently? You're going, who, who, who sends more missionaries than Americans? We're, we're the Americans. We're, we're, we, we lift up Jesus. Yes, we do. We're very effective at it. But there's a nation that actually sends more total missionaries than we do now. You know where it is? South Korea. You go, huh? You know how big South Korea is? About the size of you know, California. I mean, it's not, not a big country. But they are on fire for Jesus. They share the gospel. Oh, well, we, ought to, we ought to pass them and be ahead of them. No, we ought to rejoice that God's working in them. I don't know about you, I love the story of Acts. 
for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons I love it is because it talks about how the gospel was shared and spread across the world. The gospel moved for, through different people groups. It moved through different nations. It moved into different regions. Uh, it, it, it worked through different messengers. But through it all, the message was the same. And what was that message? That Jesus died for the sins of those who would be redeemed and he was raised on the third day. That's the gospel. Let's proclaim that and rejoice. They were revealed again and again in Acts. Acts chapter 6 says this, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. God's word wasn't being shared by one person, but by an army of followers. The gospel is centered on a personal encounter with the divine that changes us. Speaking of which, have you met him? See, the way this all starts is with a personal commitment to Christ. That's where it all begins. I would encourage you to trust Christ today. Let him come into your life and give you new life. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your blessing of...